This morning, look at Psalm 133. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. At Celebration Church, we have a very simple slogan that you hear us repeat. Uh, We see it every Sunday just before the message. It's be real, belong, and become. As we start off 2010 together, I want to talk to you about what it means to belong. In fact, I want to make the idea of belonging our main focus this year. 2010, the year of belonging and what it means to really belong to something bigger than ourselves. Jesus said this in uh, the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. He says, a new command I give you. These guys were very much into commands. This was the Jewish nation. They had the Ten Commandments, but it was way more than just the Ten Commandments. They lived under the uh, law of Moses. There were a gazillion commandments. It's quite amazing. Uh, Some of them very uh, specific about things that make sense. Other things, as you read the law of Moses, I I just don't get it. Very, very strange rules. For example, you, you were not supposed to cook a goat in its mother's milk. What that had to do with anything, I have no idea. Apparently they had goat problems and cooking them had to be just under, I mean, there are all kinds of bizarre rules. I mean, rule after rule after rule, command after command after command. And when Jesus came, the Pharisees like were really, they were adding rules on top of the rules that they already had. They became Pharisees. They just really became technical about everything. And in the context of all these commands, Jesus says, I got a new one for you. It's a radical command though. And it is this. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why is this important? He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now that's quite a challenge. You know, it's easy to love God. We're very good at the vertical relationship. But he commands, we take this and we turn it horizontal as well. Loving God is one thing, but to love people that we live with and know and disagree with and get irritated by with that same amount of love, Jesus said, as I have loved you. This is how much you're supposed to love each other. Wow. You see, if there's one thing we Americans value above all else, it is the idea of individualism. Don't tread on me. Don't get in my face. Mind your own business. Don't inconvenience me. I have my rights. I don't want to get involved. Rights, man, it's amazing. Whole sections of our culture over the last 50 years have changed dramatically because one person complained. I don't want you praying. I I, I feel intimidated if you pray in school. I don't want to pray, but I don't want you to pray because it makes me feel uncomfortable. So because that one person had the right, we all acquiesce to the one rights. We cherish the rights of the individual. Don't want to get involved. You know, I've ran across this show on on cable. It's called 
I survived. Anybody ever see this thing? It's a kind of a gruesome, weird kind of show. And uh, what it is, is interviews. They have three people in every show. And uh, no one else is talking except the people telling their story of why they should be dead. Talking about the horrible experience that they had. Some weirdo came into their office and started shooting people. Or someone tried to stab someone. Or some guy was uh, working with a piece of machinery and gets his arm cut off. And I mean, just, it's brutal. I can only watch so many at a time that I can't sleep for a while. (laughs) Makes you feel blessed, though. (laughs) If you're unhappy, look at the misery of others. It'll cheer you up. But... uh, but I'm amazed at how often, quite, I'm, I'm, I'm horrified at how often these people telling their story of how they find the dramatic stories. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. What's really shocking is they're showing people who have stories like this. That they would stumble out into the street to get help. And again, they've been shot. Their hand has been cut off. Blood squirting everywhere. They have been stabbed. They are in great need. And how horrifying it is to hear these people say, as they're waving at people in the street, people keep walking. I mean, I'm sorry, you have got to be one cold-hearted snake. When you see someone gushing, blood all over the place, and you just keep going to Walmart. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) There's something wrong with you. It's a bad side in our culture that people don't want to be involved. Don't disturb me. I've got my business. I don't want to get involved in, in your business. Even in our Christian faith, if there's one thing we have stressed overwhelmingly over the last five decades, it's the idea of a personal relationship with God. It's all about you and God wants to bless you and God is so happy when you show up and I don't know how he wakes up every day if you weren't smiling at him and it's all about you, 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 you and God wants this and you and it's all very narcissistic. I get why so many preachers preach this way. We live in a very narcissistic culture. You know, you should get the best shampoo because after all, you deserve it. You know, it's all about us and we try to relate to people by appealing to their self-centered interests and while there is without a doubt a truth about the personal connection with God we need to have this if you don't have this you're in pretty bad shape but we have failed to teach that it's also about this the idea of a corporate worship experience is as is of little concern to many people you know scriptures that speak of our responsibility to a corporate worship structure are largely, if not altogether, ignored. We don't even quote these scriptures. No one even refers to these scriptures. It makes us uncomfortable. Scriptures like this, speaking of spiritual leaders in the church, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us this, Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them. So that their work will be a joy. Not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. 
strange concept. And there's lots of scriptures like this, by the way. The idea of responding to a structured leadership in a church, inconceivable. We'll have none of that. After all, God tells me what to do. God, and while God does speak to people, if you're on an island all by yourself and your only concern is why God tells you, you are being unscriptural. For we are to submit and show respect in a church setting. But you don't hear much about this. We're all about us and what we want. We spiritualize our unwillingness to be connected to each other. We'll say things like, well, I, I just need to do what God has called me to do. It's all about me, 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 me. Uh, I, I, I don't want to worship with you anymore. Why? Well, God told me not to. Really? Would this be the same God who said, love one another like I have loved you? This God told you not to have anything to do with these people anymore? Seem a little odd to people? Seem strange to anybody? The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens talking about our relationship with the kingdom of God, but we're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Indeed, it's all about Jesus. Without question, without him, without the cornerstone, none of this means anything. But if you think it's only about Jesus, you're making a huge mistake. It's also about being built together with others upon this foundation of the Jesus and the scriptures. Paul goes on. He says, in him, talking about Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are dependent upon one another. But again, there's a great resistance to that in our culture. It just is what it is. And it's going to take more than one sermon, I promise you, to point us in the truly biblical direction. So I want to be talking about this a lot this year. About the importance of being part of something bigger than us. Bigger than just you and your little personal connection with God. I'll, I'll, I'll tolerate this as long as, 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 as I don't have to feel like I have to submit to anybody else that maybe I, I don't agree with 100%. Because the most important thing is just what I think. See, see, if you think that way, you're thinking unscripturally. The Bible says the church is truly about, we're all members of one another. We are all stones, the Bible says, built on each other that makes this big temple in which God resides. The church is not brick and mortar. The church is you and me, built together. And we all need each other, or the building doesn't really stand so well. You know, whatever campus you're at this morning... There's a roof over your head. It doesn't hang there magically with some invisible force field. It it stays there because of pillars, significant key structure points that hold it up. 
What's amazing is how few of those it takes to be removed before the whole thing collapses. It really is. It doesn't take many. In some situations, one major one. And the whole thing will come crashing down. One pillar says, well, I can't. I don't like that pillar over there. I don't want to be connected to this pillar. I hate that stupid ceiling. It's so arrogant. It's always up there. I don't feel like I have to submit to that. Being built, building, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Seriously, have you ever, have you ever struggled with reading the Book of Acts and seeing what God was doing then, and looking at what goes on today? Has that bothered anybody? Because if you read the Bible, it can't help to be a little troubling. Because we serve, say the same Jesus, there's still the same spirit, the same, same God. What has changed? Nothing really theologically has changed. Oh, there have been people who've tried to teach. Well, theologically, you know, God did that especially in the beginning just to help Christianity get started. But then there's new things. Yeah, they make up this stuff all in a desperate attempt to justify the lack of the power of God today. How about instead of justifying, how about we just be honest and say maybe it's us. Maybe it's us because these guys experienced God in ways that was absolutely, incredibly mind-boggling. I mean, it's cool. If you've never read the book Acts, you ought to read it. It is seriously entertaining. These guys were like the Jedi Knights of the Bible, man. I mean, these guys, it was amazing. The miracles and stuff that they were experiencing every day. Amazing things. Peter gets arrested and thrown in in jail. They're getting ready to kill him the next day. He's sent in prison. All of a sudden, the chains just fall off his arms. And the door pops open. That's pretty cool. He walks out. The guards don't see him. It's like, hello. Comes to the main gate. The gate just opens by itself. And they didn't have the doors like we have here. Walk through a close behind me. Just amazing stuff. The Bible says the next day they went to get him out of jail. He was gone. That's a little creepy. He was there. I know he was there. Where'd he go? I don't know. Then all of a sudden they see him preaching out in the street. I mean, it was just great. So I think God just loved to mess with their heads. Just loved to mess with their heads. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? God was doing powerful things. And it wasn't because they were so smart. If anything, one of the things that marked the early church is they were kind of ignorant. In fact, the Bible says they referred to them as ignorant and unlearned people. The educated people of the world just could not understand Christianity. How could this group of people be so successful? They're not that smart. They're kind of the dopey people. Not highly educated Not the sharpest knives in the drawer, if you get my drift. Look down upon them. But yet these people who weren't particularly brilliant at all by any natural stretch of the imagination changed the world in which they lived. And they did it, relatively speaking, in, in a small group of years. How did they do it? It was because God was so powerful and present in their midst. How do you get there? 
Well, we get there by becoming a place that God can really live and move in. And not a physical place, but a group of people that we take this as seriously as we take this. Sadly, today most people will enjoy this to some degree, will tolerate this to some level, but their only real interest is just this, and it's more about me than up here, but it's, it's about this. And then we wonder why we don't experience the power of God. And again, it's going to take more than one sermon or a series of sermons. Yet this is something we need to really look at. What can we do as a group of people that we really get this and are really committed to each other? And it takes a lot to break this. Because today it doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, let's be honest. Can we just be honest with each other? I mean, the truth is most people come to this church or any church primarily for one reason. They like the formula. They like the formula. It's very comfortable to them. They, they like the preacher. They like the children's program. They like the teens program. They like the people who work there. Woohoo! They like the music. They like the style of the music. They like the amount of the music. They like the guy who leads the music. And they look at all the formula and they go, yes, I love this place. Come on, it is what it is. That's why I say, I'm glad. I mean, people who don't like our particular formula don't come here. And it's all right. Nobody's, no one church is going to appeal to everybody. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> I still have a hard time grasping that concept. But it's, <laughs> amazingly, it's true. Not everybody likes me. They don't come here. But the formula is just right. But I promise you, this really isn't that strong. I mean, we're growing. It's getting better. As I look around this church, even over the last three years, as we've emphasized this, I see people of different color. I see people of different economic backgrounds. Different styles of people. Some of you are dressed to the T's. Some of you barely got dressed this morning. That's okay. Some of you have tattoos. Some of you don't have tattoos. Some of you have hair. Some of us don't. Well, that's great. We're, we're a church that doesn't all look the same. I love that about this place. Because there's lots of little churches all over America where they're all the same color and they're all same style and they all dress the same and they all talk the same and they all look the same and everything's la 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 there's gazillions of them. 400,000 churches in America this morning. 80% of them have 100 people or less in them. Because that's about as many as you can get together that all look the same, you see. I love this church. That we were growing. Hello? <laughs> we take phone calls all at the same time. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful place. But let's not deceive ourselves. We're still not really all that strong here. We're going to grow. We're going to grow and be what God wants us to be. The more we do this along with this the more of the presence and the power of God we're going to experience in our lives. But it has to be strong. 
The truth of the matter is all you got to do is change the formula a little bit and people will freak. In all honesty, if I added 15 more minutes of songs every Sunday morning, a bunch of you would leave the church. Truth is, if I cut the song service in half so I can talk more, a bunch of you would leave the church. There's no question. That's not even a question. That's all it takes, you see. Just change a couple of songs and I'm out of here. Change this and and, and I'm out of here. Don't make that look just the way it used to look and, and, and I'm out of here. We've got to get stronger than that. I should be able to get up this morning and cancel the music altogether and just preach for an hour and a half. You may not like it, but you go, it's what it is. And nobody leaves, you see, because this is so strong. Should be able to get up some Sunday morning and say, I don't want to preach. I'm tired of preaching. We're just going to sing the whole service. Hey. (laughs) Throw that guy out of here. You may not I'm just teasing it. May, you may not like it or like it, but it should make no difference to this. We're not moving because of dramatically touching the formula. But dramatic, forget about dramatic. Move this. Change this. Twist a little bit of that, and I'm out of here. Oh dear God in heaven. We've got to do better than that. Of course, it's no shock. We live in a culture today. There's virtually a spirit. But I do. We live in a culture today, a spirit of divorce. It affects marriages, of course. People stay married to each other as long as they don't bug each other too much. That's kind of the standard. If you, if you bug me too much, I'm out of here. I'm going to, people will walk away from their most intimate commitment, the promise that they made standing before God Almighty and said, I will be with this person till the day I die, come hell or high water, for better or for worse. We, we take those vows and we throw them out like toilet paper today. It means nothing. I'm unhappy. I get it. But Pastor, I'm really unhappy. I get it. But when you said for better or for worse, what did you think worse meant? <laughs> Look, people, what your spouse does to you may irritate you till the day you die. The good news is you die. <laughs> Be encouraged this morning. <laughs> if you're having a hard time in your marriage, he's got to die sooner or later. I mean, just... Now we can help you beyond that, but honestly, a lot, a lot of successful marriages is just is, is detente. You guys remember detente? Soviet Union, United States. Our agreement was, we won't blow you to smithereens, and you don't blow us to smithereens. Then we're good. I mean, that's a lot of people's relationship. You don't kill me, I don't kill you. 
You know, no weapons by your side of the bed, no weapons by my side of the bed. We're good. You know, if there's a reasonable expectation of living to the next morning, we're okay. How about we do better than that? How about we actually love the person we're married to? What a concept. How about we're actually nice to the person that we're married to? How about we actually love our children? If nothing else, tolerate this person because of the children. But we're so narcissistic. Is it any shock that that we would do this to the most close, important relationship of our life, that we walk out of a church for whatever? That should be no shock to us at all. But then, why not more miracles? Why not more power of God? Well, where's the love, you see? Spirit of God flows in an atmosphere of love. Paul said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Well, what about what I need, Pastor? I'm just not getting what I need. Because I feel like what I need is really happening. I don't know about other people, but I'm not getting what I need. Where's the love, man? Love is not self-seeking. You don't go out. If you hear yourself, well, I need this. I need. You're not walking in love. You're just narcissistic. It's not easily angered. <laughs> well, missing that one. Keeps no record of wrongs. Good Lord. Have I gotten a bunch of records played back to me this last few weeks? Pastor, you remember on April 29th at 3 o'clock when you said such and such? No. Well, I remember it. I wrote it down. Man, relax a little bit. Be nice. Keep some. Where's the love? Somebody gave me a present this morning. It's a pad of paper made out of elephant poop. It's, it's called elephant poo-poo paper. 100% odorless paper made from elephant poo. You know, I, I felt like people were giving me crap. Now, that, now they're literally... I mean... <laughs> I just thought I'd share that. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always trusts, always trusts. Man, is that the first thing to fly out the window? Zing! Holy stinking cow. I read in the news a few weeks ago, I don't know how many of you caught this, but Rick Warren's church, Hugh Magus Church in California, announced that they were having, for the month, a $900,000 shortfall. Due to the economy. <laughs> Think we got problems. 900 grand for the month. And had to really express to people that it was due to the services that were down and the economy and so many people unemployed. And had to really stress that it wasn't due to financial mismanagement. Why? Because it's the first thing people assume. 
When I first announced that we were going to have to make some cutbacks in our budget. Oh my goodness. The attacks of financial mismanagement. And we weren't short at all. When we started this, we didn't owe anybody anything. We were completely zeroed out. But saw that we were going to be headed for trouble if we didn't make some changes. Why did this happen? I can't trust you. I can't trust you. Wow, where is the love? It always trusts. It always trusts. It always trusts. If you love people, I... Not just, woe is me. You know, I just... I'm stunned. At, and, and it's just been a handful of people. And most of them have left, so this sermon isn't doing them any good. They're gone. But, uh, but just to help us get past this and to get stronger... To be accused of lying and cheating and wow. All because we have to make budget cuts? Good Lord, that's all it takes and I'm a lying piece of elephant paper? (laughs) Where is the love? Always hopes, always perseveres. One thing's about the early Christians, man, they really loved each other. Read about it in Acts. It says all the believers were one in heart and mind. That's why the power of God was so strong. They were one in heart and mind. They got this as strongly as they got this. And it changed the world. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. Why? Because they got this as strong as they got this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. Why? Because they got this as much as this. God was there powerfully. Because the Spirit of God moves in an atmosphere of love. Love that does not expect the worst, always believes the best. Is not self-seeking, will suffer, and always believe the best. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time... Those who owned lands or houses sold them. Why? They had extra houses, extra land. They just sell them. Why? Why would they? They come and they bring the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and said, look, you know, there's people hurting. You know, they might be going through a hard time. Just take this and give, give money to people who have need in the church. Holy stinking cow. That is love. Why was the power of God so strong? Because they got this as strong as they got this. But people wound easily. They don't walk in love. They get hurt. I don't know if I can ever trust again. (laughs) I waved at the pastor. He didn't wave back. (laughs) I just can't take it anymore. (laughs) That's all it takes? Someone was mad because one of the pastors didn't know their name. They saw them at a grocery store. He didn't know my name. I got news for you. I don't know your name. (laughs) Not all of you. I know her name. I'm married to that one. (laughs) There's a lot of people and that's all it takes. I'm not going there anymore because they didn't know my name. They changed something in the program. I just, uh, look, it is what it is. But let's grow past this. Let's really get this. 
and grow in this so that we can create a true atmosphere of love where God can move in a powerful way. You think you got challenges. You know what the early church's problem was? People would come to them and threaten to kill them if they did not renounce this Jesus. They would take their babies, their little two-year-olds, and threaten to slit their throats, let them bleed out slowly on the ground. If you didn't renounce this Jesus. Amazingly we hear the stories of the martyrs who stood strong. In the face of death and in the face of great loss. And they maintained their faith and their commitment. And God moved in a powerful way. What you don't hear about. But history does make very clear. Is that there were a lot of people who did deny Jesus. I mean what would you do? They're holding your baby. They're going to burn it alive. Pour oil on it. Got a match. You going to believe in Jesus? What are you going to do? And a lot of people, they couldn't take it. They couldn't take it. And they renounced Jesus. They spit on the cross. Cursed God's name. And held their babies dear. While others stood firm and suffered great loss. But amazingly, some time later, those people would come back to the church. Tears streaming down their faces. Saying, I'm so sorry. I want to get right with God. Now what do you do? You think you're upset because the songs aren't exactly the same? You think you're upset because something got changed that you didn't want to change? What do you do when you lost your children and the guy who kept his children now comes back into the church and wants to be forgiven? Do you know what they did? They forgave him. Why? Because they took this As seriously as they took this. I'm going to invite the ushers to come. Get ready to serve communion. Our musicians can come back. Wow. Again, you don't get there from one sermon. But we need to be very intentional. And plan to be very intentional this year to talk about this. Let's make some really strong commitments, bonds that are not easily broken, that it would take a lot. Look, no one's advocating becoming some kind of a weird psycho cult that you have to do everything I say, and if you leave here, you'll die and go to hell. No one's talking like that. We start preaching things that aren't true or things get so crazy. You know, no one's, we're just not going to go there, but seriously, we should be able to handle a lot of changes that don't affect this at all. We may not like it. People don't like change. I don't like change. But I'm not going to break this off because it doesn't look like it looked last week to me. It's, this is much stronger to me. It's going to take a lot more than that. Let's really get this so that we can start truly 
experiencing more of God in our lives. We're getting ready to take communion. Jesus, talk about love. Talk about love, man. Coming to this earth, becoming the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. His body was crucified on that cross in a horrible way. His body broken so we could be whole. His blood shed so we could be clean from our sins. Have you responded to that love? Have you at least started with this? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made this right. You've never really experienced God's grace and forgiveness in your life. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you all to pray this and repeat this after me. If you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and reach out to God, you can begin to experience this vertical relationship, this connection with God. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. Amen.